so when I was thinking about uh, what to do for Wednesday night, um, one of the things that came to my mind or one of the things that I was confident about was that I didn't want this to be sermon number two. <laughs> and that has nothing really to do with my preparation. I spent just as much time on this as I would on any sermon. Uh, but it has everything to do with actually giving the congregation an opportunity both to hear things that you wouldn't typically hear from a pulpit, give us an opportunity to go into uh, various different subjects, uh, to actually use this as an opportunity to train us in varying capacities but also to give an opportunity for the congregation to ask questions. We may not be able to answer them all. I'm not guaranteeing that. <laughs> but, but an opportunity to actually ask questions, things that have been on your mind for a while as they pertain to this, the subject at hand. Um, and then and, and let's find a response to those questions in Scripture. How does Scripture answer those things? So I wanted to give both training, um, a place for you to ask questions, and uh, uh, an opportunity to just do something different than what we typically do on a Sunday morning. So then we have to ask the question, what is it exactly that we're doing here? And I want to answer that in just in four ways to just give you kind of a scope as far as what we're doing in this series. First, we are seeking to understand and know God. We are seeking to understand and know who God is as he has revealed himself to us in his word. Now, we could stand up here and do a lot of things. We could go on and on about who we think God is, what we want Him to be, but that may not be exactly who has, He has revealed Himself to be in His Word. And so what I really want to focus on is the text here that's in front of us. Um, that may mean that we're flipping back and forth to and fro and going to different places, but I really want to, to do just that. I want to discover who He says He is in His Word. As I was thinking about this um, and started kind of de develop develop this this series, one of the things that has been on my mind for a long time um, is Paul's address to the church at Ephesus, and he opens his letter really um, in a really powerful way, reminding them of who they are in Christ. But then after that, he tells them what he's been praying for them. And when I read that passage, to me, it's always just really sat on me as a really heavy um, duty that Paul is communicating to them. He says this, and it's in Ephesians 1, 15 and following. Um, and you can feel more than welcome to turn there with me, or you can just write it down and look at it later. But he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, here it is, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand, at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in 
this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So when Paul is addressing the church at Ephesus, he doesn't say to them, I really want you to remember who I am. I really want you to think of me as a great person. We're talking about Paul, the apostle, who has healed people with uh, handkerchiefs. <laughs> right? Handkerchiefs that he was, was touching were healing people, it tells us in Acts. I mean, the Lord was doing a mighty work through Paul, and yet his chief concern for the church at Ephesus was that they grow in the wisdom and knowledge of God. Not that they know more about Paul, but that they know more about God. The best thing that they could, he could ever give to them is knowledge of God. This is a person who was imprisoned, who died in prison, and all he ever wanted for the churches was to know who God was and who he is. And so, as I'm thinking about that, uh, it should form our approach as a church. That should be our, our driving passion when we meet together is to know more of who God is, who He has revealed Himself to be in Scripture, and, and who He is, right? Second, I, I, or in addition to that, I really w- was concerned with, that we start with the basics. So tonight may be very, very basic for a lot of you. And some of you may, I already know all this, I've, I've maybe been through seminary or whatever, or maybe you've just, I've been a Christian for a long enough time, I already know all this. But I think it bears repeating, particularly tonight, there are some, some uh, things going on in the culture that this specifically addresses. And so, um, so I, I, I want to start with the basics and, and just kind of cover um, the very simple things about how we know what we know about the God we know. And then as we go on, working toward more and more complex things. And I know for some of you that may scare you, but we'll, uh, we'll go a step at a time. And we'll open the floor for questions for sure. Uh, maybe not every night, but most nights as much as we can. Um, all right. So then we have to lay down some, some, some ground rules for how we're going to do this. Okay. First things first, the Bible is our guide. All right. For our questions, for our answers, the Bible is going to be our guide. There's a lot of room sometimes for um, speculation, but we need to declare those as speculative. Well, I think this might be true based on some of these things, but then we also need to be honest and say, but the Bible is just really silent on a lot of those things. There's going to be a lot of questions that we get to anytime we read the Bible, where at the end of it we go, man, that really makes me want to ask this question, how this particular thing works, and truth be told, the Bible is just really silent on that. Uh, and then we have to rest in Isaiah where he says, uh, your ways are not my ways. <laughs> my, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And we have to rest in that. Um, so the Bible is going to be our guide. The second part of that is history is going to inform our approach. So if we get to an interpretation of Scripture, or we think we might have a solution to a problem, or we might know the answer to a question, and history has never come to that conclusion, it's wrong. All right? <laughs> Let's just... Most likely, it's, it's wrong, all right? Uh, there's another time where, where history might have said, that's heresy. 
in which case we're going to say, we're going to side with history and we're going to say, well, uh, when it comes to Jesus, he is fully God, fully man. Throughout history, many people have tried to make him fully man and a little less God, fully God and a little less man. And all of them have been condemned as heretics. So we're going to side with history there and we're going to say he's fully God, fully man as an example. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? History is going to inform our approach. But then, at the end of all that, it needs to be contextualized. I don't want to just live in the clouds. I don't want to just talk about all of this, uh, whatever, all the study of God, knowledge of God, and then just leave it up here. I want to bring it down to the day-to-day place where we actually live and move. And how does this actually impact the world that I live in? What does this tell me about the people that I interact with on a regular basis? And then last, it should impact the way that we live. It should actually change us. If we are coming to a real knowledge of who God is, then there are going to be places where he disagrees with us, where he disagrees with me. And it's only in study of his word that I discover God disagrees with me about this. And so, if I'm not having my toes stepped on, then it's probably not God I'm studying. It's probably my own mind that I'm studying. If he always agrees with me, it's probably, uh, it's probably me that I'm worshiping instead of God, right? Yeah. So how are we going to use this time? What is it for? Well, first, it's for training. We need to be built up. Right? When I want to build in us, all of us, a complex web of booby traps for heresy, all right? So that when heresy starts to creep into your ears, bells start going off, flags start popping up all over the place, and you start to, alarms start sounding. Wait a second, this sounds a lot like heresy. It may not be, but it sounds a lot like heresy. I need to pay attention, I need to investigate further. So, very simply, this is training for us. But second, it should be used in our witnessing. Now, how many of you have ever thought to yourself about a person, I really want to share the gospel with this person. I think they're lost as a goose in a snowstorm. Uh, Is that an expression y'all use here? No, it's not an expression you use here. If a goose was in a snowstorm, he'd be pretty lost. (laughs) He's supposed to be south. Uh, uh, So, but, (laughs) and he's white. Um, So, if I, I really want to share the gospel with this person, but and, and they seem to me to be pretty lost, but and they're really smart, and I think uh, they may ask some questions that I don't know the answer to, and I'm afraid that if I open my mouth and I open that can of worms, they're going to make me look like an idiot. Um, I think we've all felt like that. That doesn't stop. That continues on. There's seminary professors that feel the exact same way. All right, so. Uh, See, it doesn't stop. But I think sometimes training can help in terms of witnessing to give us confidence as we go up to people to say, I know there are some good answers in Scripture. And I may not know them off the top of my head, but I I think that we as a group can discover some really um, compelling compelling arguments for, uh, for what we know to be true about God and what we can deliver to people as we're sharing the gospel with them. But then last, it, it should be corrective for us. There may be some areas in our life, some things that we've read or some stuff that we believe that are heretical, maybe even, or that are, that are errant, 
that we need to be corrected on. And that's not a, a, a way of pointing the finger or, 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 or blaming anybody for anything. That's really just saying like we might need to be corrected about some of these things that we have believed. Okay. So does anybody have any questions about that as far as what I, I'm hoping for Wednesday night, what we're trying to get out of this? Any questions, thoughts, comments? We're good? This is an opportunity by the time we get to the end for you to ask questions. All right? So it, it is for you. Um, so let me ask you a question to get us started. How do we know God? Whoops, don't read that. Close your eyes. How do we know God? An atheist comes up to you, or you're, you're talking to an atheist person on, uh, on the street, and you're sharing the gospel with him, and, and he says, oh, you're so arrogant. You think that you could possibly know who God is? How do you know who God is? What is your answer to him? Okay. All right. By studying his characteristics? It's a good option. Ah, yeah, yeah, which is, is where Shannon's also getting the characteristics, right? Very simply, he has revealed himself to us. Yes? Yes. We're making a claim about God. We're saying that this God that we believe in has actually stepped into our lives in a number of ways and has revealed himself to us. He has opened up the cloak of heaven and has shown us who he is. Right? So we can know God because he has revealed himself to us. And what that also means is if he had not come into our lives, we would be grabbing in the dark. We might be able to make some guesses, but we would have no assurances. So when I respond to an atheist, I'm telling him, I know who God is because he has revealed himself to mankind. Not just to me personally. We're not talking about just in a closet somewhere in the, in the middle of nowhere. I'm talking about to humanity as a whole. God has stepped into our existence and he has revealed himself to us. We can be assured of that. But David, uh, it is David, right? Okay, good. Uh, brings up a, a, a good, uh, makes a good comment. He has revealed himself to us in his word. What is the word of God? What is God's word? Jesus Christ. All right. Are there any other options? Hmm? Maybe. Are there any other options? Stephen? The Bible. The Bible, right? Good, good option. All right. Creation reveals a little bit of who, who God is, so that man is without excuse. Yeah. When we look at this phrase, God's Word or the Word of God, first I want to define it, and then I want to look at how Scripture has pointed us to God's Word, how God has revealed Himself through His Word throughout all of Scripture. So first, a definition. God's powerful self-expression in creation, revelation, and salvation. God's powerful self-expression in creation, 
revelation and salvation. So when God's word is given to us, it is usually, in th- throughout scripture, it is creating something, it is revealing something, revealing himself, or it is saving something. Okay? Now, what I want us to do, we're going to look at four different ways in which God's word has been given to humanity, and we're going to take scripture passages, we're going to read them out loud, and I mean you guys are going to read them out loud, and we're going to determine what is that saying about God's word? What is God's word here? So let's take the first group of passages here. Who will take Genesis 15? One. All right, Shannon, take Genesis 15. Somebody take Genesis 1-1 and Psalm 33-6. You can probably quote Genesis 1-1, but Psalm 33-6. Who's going to do that? All right, Blake, in the back. I may not be able to call all of you by name. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to do my best. I mean, uh, Exodus 21 to 3, David. Uh, oh, sorry, David Williams. And then David Maxwell, why don't you do Matthew 17, 5? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll say kind of. Uh, <laughs> all right. When you get Genesis 15, 1, somebody read that. Shane, read that. Okay, the Lord spoke to Abram. Uh, who has uh, Blake, Genesis 1 1 and Psalm 33 6? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. You see how those two are put together? I, tr- I tried to put those together logically there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 33 6 tells us again. Read it again, Blake. All right, by the word of the Lord and breath of his mouth. All right, they, the heavens were made. All right, uh, we've got Exodus 21 to 3, David Williams. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other God before me. All right, so you know that goes on to be the Ten Commandments. Obviously, there's, there's a lot more that comes after that, but God is, is delivering those. David Maxwell, if you'll read Matthew 17, 5. While I was still speaking, behold... All right, so uh, Peter is the one speaking, and they're on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter's like, hey, we could set up these booths here, and it'd be great, you and Moses and Elijah, and just all come down, we'll have a big party, and while he's still speaking, which I love that passage, because God just kind of interrupts him, which is, which is great, he's, he's talking, I think it's hilarious, uh, and God just goes, shut up, and just, uh, yeah, just keeps going, and, uh, and he, he speaks, he speaks uh, over Peter, and, uh, and it's, it terrifies Peter, doesn't it? Uh, so what is that? What we, hear, we see in here the word of God communicated to mankind. How? What's the method? Verbal. Verbal. It is literally an audible decree or a personal address. In Abraham's case, he, or Abram's case, he is talking straight to Abram in a vision, but he is talking to Abram, speaking to him audibly. In Peter's case, he is speaking from the clouds. This happens also in Jesus' baptism, but it, 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 and it terrifies people, right? There's this voice, literally a booming voice coming out of the clouds, uh, and 
Yes, there it is. All right. (laughs) An audible decree. So that's one kind of word of the Lord. Right. The word of God could be an audible decree from on high from God's throne. All right. Let's take the next group of passages. Who's going to take Deuteronomy 18, 18 through 20? Jeremiah 1, 7, and 9. You can read 8, too, if you want to, but a little off topic. But anyway, it's okay. 1, 7, and 9. Jeremiah 1, 7, and 9. Who'll take that? All right. Uh, Let me think about it for a second. Rhonda? Uh, Sorry, my mind doesn't work like a Rolodex, so it's hard. It's hard. Uh, Exodus 4, 12. We'll take that. All right, David. Okay, we, uh, Olivia, is it Deuteronomy 18, 18, 20? I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes, presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Okay, that first part is, I, God, will put my words in, in your mouth. All right, uh, next, next passage, Jeremiah 1, 7 and 9. Go ahead, Rhonda. Um, but the Lord said to me, do not say, I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. And then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. So God again putting his words in Jeremiah's mouth, speaks for him. Exodus 4, 12. Now therefore go, and I'll be with you, obey your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. Yeah. So how how is God uh, revealing himself through his word in these cases? Through the mouths of individuals. So he is actually through a a, a vessel, spoken through a vessel, or maybe even a prophet, in this case, a vessel being, uh, well, Balaam's donkey, right, uh, <laughs> would, be, would be a vessel, right? Uh, but, but through a prophet, uh, in, in the case of Jeremiah and so many other prophets, he literally puts his words in their mouth. I'm giving you the words that you are going to speak. So when they stand in front of a congregation, they can say, thus saith the Lord. And everything that I'm going to tell you is God's words directly. He's not opening the clouds of heaven this time. He is speaking through me, a vessel. It's different than what we would say about preachers today. We would, we would say something different. We'll cover them in a little bit. But, uh, but what he's doing here is he's actually speaking through a prophet. And the words that the prophet utters are the literal words of God. Yes? Agreed? Understood? Okay. Next, let's take another word group. Or verse group. Uh, John 1 1. All right, Betty. 1 John 1 1. All right, Phil. Revelation 19 13. All right, Becky. So far, I'm on a roll tonight with names, by the way. Just want to point that out. Um, <laughs> It's okay. We can laugh, people. It's all right. It's good. Uh, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> These are your assigned seats all semester. Uh, okay. Uh, that's right. Uh, John one one. He's got. It. 
Oh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, all right. Next, First John 1.1. 1, 1. All right, there he says word of life, uh, but it seems pretty evident in 1 John 1, 1 that he's also talking about the same individual, I think. Uh, Revelation nineteen thirteen. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. His name is the word of God. Who is this that we're talking about? Or what is this that we're talking about? How has God revealed himself in his word here in these verses? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ right? Now, let me ask you a question. As we get to this, I want to pause for just a moment and let me ask this question. What does it mean that Jesus is the Word? Why does John use that? John wrote John, 1 John, and Revelation. Why does he use the word Word to describe Jesus? Go ahead. You can, it's not, there's, believe me, there's no, there are wrong answers. There are wrong answers, but, <laughs> but I'm not going to blame you for them. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Okay. So he is the fulfillment of all the things God has spoken, right? In, in the past, it all, it, it points to Christ. So. John obviously has a lot to pull from to call him. He is the Word of God. He's the fulfillment. It's true. Any other thoughts maybe that you have? Like why would Jesus, why would he use the word word to describe Jesus? It's sort of strange. It would be strange for us to describe a human being as, or a person as, as word. He is one with God. He's the essence of God. He's the Spirit of God. Okay. All right. He's the essence. He's the Spirit of God. So... Uh, he he's he is one with God. We should say so. He's uh, so for for that reason maybe. Remember our definition. I'm gonna go back to it. God's powerful self-expression in creation, revelation, and salvation. If John is thinking this is what God's word is. It's his self-revelation. It's when he reveals himself to us. And it's through his creating power that he speaks into the cosmos. It's, it's revealing himself. It is his salvation work that he does. What is Jesus Christ? In John 1.1, 1, 1, he is with the Father as creation is made. All things are made through him. Without him, nothing is made that has been made. God revealing himself in creation is with Christ. But Christ is also the epitome of God's revelation to us. We don't worship a God that's only ever existed in spirit. We worship a God that is been, is been, has take, taken on flesh and dwelt among us. Tiffany. Can we add John 1, 2 through 5 to the John 1, 1? Sure, yeah. What you just said was 2 through 5. Sure. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yes. About to answer, but then you said your part you didn't say it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Let, let, we usually abbreviate that John one one FF, which means in following. All right, John. Yes, John one and following for sure. Uh, but but 
Jesus is obviously the epitome of God's salvation to us. We serve a God who has made himself real to us in the flesh, in Jesus Christ. So John, knowing this about God's word, uh, shows us that in Christ. Here we go. Let me go forward. All right. Jesus Christ, the word of God. Last. John 14, 26 and 16, 12 through 13. Who will take those two? All right. Tell me your name. <laughs> Marilyn. Okay, Marilyn. Sorry, I'm, I'm new. <laughs> uh, Marilyn, all right. Marilyn's got the, the first two verses there. 2 Timothy 3.16. Some of you can probably quote this one. All right. Miss Brooks in the back. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.37. Yeah, that's fine. David Williams, go ahead. Uh, so, Miss Marilyn, if you'll go ahead with that first when you've got it, John fourteen twenty six. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you in remembrance all things that I have said to you. Okay, Jesus speaking to the disciples says, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to remind you of all the things I've said to you. Now, flash forward two chapters there, Miss Marilyn, if you could read 16, 12 through 13. So here's a promise from Jesus to his disciples. You're not ready for all the things that I have to tell you, and you, you're not going to remember them all. <laughs> but, but after I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to speak on my behalf to you, all right? And you're going to, you're going to take those things. He's going, to, and he's going to remind you of truth. He's going to build you up, yes. Okay, 2 Timothy 3.16. Let's see how that fleshes out. 2 Timothy 3.16. All right, so here we have Scripture breathed out by God, all right? That is the Word of God, okay? That's what he's saying. Uh, your words are breathed out. All Scripture is the Word of God. It is breathed out by God, and it's worthy of correction and rebuke and all and training in righteousness, right? First uh, Corinthians 14, 37. How does Paul understand what he is writing? First Corinthians 14, 37. Oh, Paul understands his own words that he is pinning down right now to the church at Corinth as the very words of God. So what, is, what do those verses have in common? How has God revealed himself in his word? Through the scriptures, right? The scriptures, the Bible, is the very word of God. Don't, don't, read, don't look at that. Don't look at slides ahead of time. Jumping ahead of time, all right? I saw you cheating, all right? Don't do that, okay? Shame on you all. Uh, all right, the Bible, the very words of God. Now, this is tremendously important uh, because we, 
Jesus has ascended. Bodily, he is not here with us. All right? He is not here physically with us, present. He is in heaven. We know he's still active on our behalf, interceding for us, the Bible says, uh, ruling and reigning, putting the nations under his feet, all of those kinds of things he is busy doing. But he is not physically here with us. We don't expect the clouds to part and God to speak to us audibly. Though he could, nothing to restrict him from doing that. We don't expect him to. It's not, it wouldn't be normative for that to happen. And hopefully we'd have some other witnesses around us if it did, right? The prophecy, as Baptists anyway, Southern Baptists, for the most part, most of our Southern Baptist churches believe that the office of prophet has closed. And that it ended with the apostles who had actually seen Jesus Christ. So if that's the case, what are we left with as the Word of God? This. Now, the reason this is important was, first of all, it's important for me as a, as a preacher. Uh, when I stand up on a Sunday morning, my objective, actually, let me back up. My objective throughout the week, as I prepare for Sunday morning, is to take a passage where, let's say in our case, we're studying Colossians right now, where Paul is uh, speaking to the church at Colossae. My objective is to take what Paul says and literally hand it to you. That's what I want to do. I don't want to come up with fancy, all kinds of crazy, awesome illustrations and, and all kinds of nice ways of putting together a text that isn't in the end what Paul actually says in the Bible. You'll notice that whenever, my, whenever I put my points up on the screen, and whenever I tell you my points, most of the time they're evident in the text. They're just self-evident in the text if you just read it. Because my goal is not to give you my own words of wisdom. I don't have any. I'm 33 years old, 34 years old. I don't have any words of wisdom. All right? All I have is Scripture. That's it. And if I don't teach from this, I have no authority whatsoever. The preacher is not a prophet. The preacher is submitting to the Word of God himself, or he should be. And all he's taking is what Paul actually says, putting it in digestible bites for the people that are in the audience, maybe even in plain language where they can understand. And then at the end of the day, at the end of that sermon, hopefully giving some sort of way in which I think that would change tomorrow for I think that changes the way I interact with my wife or the way she interacts with me or the way I interact with my children or the way that I interact with my friends or my coworkers, or maybe even just the things that I watch on TV. At the end of a sermon, that's all I want to do because what I'm standing on is the Word of God. And if I take that and change it and make it my own thing, then it's no longer authoritative because the only authority that we have is the Word of God, the Scriptures. Does that make sense? That's what we should expect of any preacher that stands up at the pulpit. Is what you're saying found in here? Now, there's differences of opinion. There's all kinds of ways in which we can interpret things. But at the end of the day, is he trying to reconcile what he sees in the text with the world around him? It's the Word of God. Now, there's another reason why this is particularly apt for our culture. 
first of all, our culture has a complete disregard for the Bible as a whole. Right? That's one thing that's relatively obvious. Inside of our church culture, we start to get a little fuzzy with what this actually is. And it seeps into Christian publishing. It seeps into Christian music. It seeps into all kinds of places. So I, I, one example that I want to put before you is this book. Now, I want, to, I want to... Let me just put a word of caution out there, all right? Before, before I get wicked emails, all right? Uh, let me just throw this out there. What I'm about to say is not really about Sarah Young. I have no idea. I don't know anything about her other than this book. Not about her. Um, it's really not, not and, I'm, and I'm certainly not calling her a heretic or anything like that, all right? What I'm saying is that when we look at some of the things that are said about this book and some of the things that she said herself about this book, those alarm bells that I'm talking about setting up should be going off. All right. I'm not saying that she oversteps her boundaries. I'm not saying that what she says isn't true. I'm saying that it sends up a lot of red flags. All right. First, with what the publishing company, Thomas Nelson, has said about this book should be troubling. I want to read it. After many years of writing her own words in her prayer journal, missionary Sarah Young decided to be more attentive to the Savior's voice and begin listening to what he was saying. So with pen in hand, she embarked on a journey that forever changed her and many others around the world. In these powerful pages are the words and scriptures Jesus lovingly laid on her heart. Words of reassurance, comfort, and hope. Words that have made her increasingly aware of his presence and allowed her to enjoy his peace. Here's my trouble. Here's why the alarm bells and the red flags are going off in my head about that statement. Is that there's a separation between words and scriptures. Immediately, red flags should be going up all over the place. Wait a second. What are you talking about words and scriptures? Because that raises the question... Is Jesus speaking to you? And if so, if that's true, he actually is saying words to you, then that's authoritative for me. And if he's speaking words to you, he's never wrong. His words are always true. So if he is literally speaking words to you, that's authoritative for me. It must be inerrant and infallible. And so, I'm looking at this person. This would be a new update to Scripture because that's where it would belong. Right? Now, that's what the publisher has said about the book. So, let's look at what Sarah Young has actually said about her own, her own book. I've been writing in a prayer journal in prayer journals for years, but that was one-way communication. I did all the talking. I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. Now, uh, to her, in her defense, she goes on after that to talk about, I know the Bible is, is the only infallible and errant word of God. And she sort of backpedals on that. But what we often see with things that creep up like this is there's a little bit of a gray area. There's a lot of ambiguity in language. And it's very hard to understand exactly what point she's making. Because it seems like that statement right there takes it from just an ordinary daily devotional 
to something that's a little bit more authoritative because it's Jesus' own words. That's not how devotionals are usually described. Okay? Now, that being said, that thing doesn't sell a billion copies without people in the church buying it. All right? Let's just be honest. So there's people in here that own it, and I'm not pointing any fingers, and I don't even know who does. And so that's not my concern. What my concern is, is that alarm bells and red flags should be going off when we read those kinds of things. Now, what she says, the points she makes about Scripture, or the exhortation she gives, or the encouragement she gives, that may all be true, or some of those things may be really true. But is it worth going into? Is it worth investing in? Is it worth uh, reading from and learning when this person is saying this is a little bit more than your average everyday devotional, right? Here's another troubling portion of that. The left side is from 2004. The right side is from the same devotional updated in 2011. And what's here in the 2004 edition, I'm not going to read it all. The top and the bottom are really the same. Right there in the middle, this is uh, Jesus' words. I mean, remember to her. Uh, she has the illustration in 2004 about Abraham and Isaac. I took Isaac to the very point of death, and you know it's the Abraham-Isaac story. On the right is Joseph and his father. Uh, Joseph and his father Jacob suffered terribly because Jacob, and it goes on to, to be about Joseph and Jacob. My point is, which ones were Jesus' words? Which ones were the ones that he gave to you? Because now they've been updated, and so that calls into question. What you're, the claim you're making about this book. So again, alarm bells going off, it's, it's very troubling. But here's the most troubling piece of it. When we take that lightly, when we take the word of God lightly, this is what ends up as a result. Somebody read for me Ezekiel 13, 1-7. Ezekiel 13, 1-7. Somebody else take Deuteronomy 18, 20-22. Right. Yes, Ezekiel 13, 1 to 7. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel, who prophesy and say to those who prophesy out of their own heart, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. O Israel, the prophets are like foxes in the deserts. You have not gone up into the gaps to build a wall Israel falls prey to the same thing. Listening to voices that say, Thus saith the Lord, and he hasn't spoken to them. Next passage, Deuteronomy 18, 20-22. But the prophet who presents to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that, some, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, How may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord... If the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. 
All right. Now, understand what that passage is saying. It, has, it, 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 it doesn't matter whether the guy is right or wrong about what he's saying. It's simply that he has not heard from me. He speaks on behalf of other gods or speaks when I have not spoken. That man is worthy of death. You put him to death immediately. Right? The question that we come to at the very end of this and that I want us to see is how does God understand his own word? How does God understand his own, own, own word? Don't mess with my word. God understands his own word to be the only true thing. The epitome of truth. If it is not truth, I have not spoken it. If it is truth, it is from me. That's it. That's the end of the line. So, we get in real big trouble when we start to play fast and loose with what we believe to be and what identifies itself in its pages as the word of God. This isn't to be played with, messed with, or fuzzy. God's not fuzzy. He's clear. He doesn't speak in ambiguous terms. He speaks clearly to us, and we can understand his word. And, and, and we shouldn't claim to speak on behalf of God when it isn't in his word. So it calls into question a lot of things, not just Sarah Young, but times when we go to our friends and we say, I feel like the Lord is telling me, da 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 You just, that may be true. The Lord may be laying that on your heart, and he may be giving that to that person. You just need to be really careful about those times. You need to go back to the scriptures. Does God actually say this? Is this actually true? Is this God that's laying that on my heart? Or is it something else? One of the things that troubles me the most about that devotional is that she recommends a spiritual discipline that is not listed as a spiritual discipline. It's what she calls listening. Which is simply sitting there with a pen and paper in hand, listening for the words of God and writing them down on paper. Psychics do that. She calls it a spiritual discipline. It's not a spiritual discipline. It's not listed anywhere in Scripture that I should be listening that way. So what does that mean? What do I do with that? We get in trouble when we play fast and loose with the Word of God. And so what we're going to do in our our ongoing study of the knowledge of God is I want to be sure... That everything, every conclusion that we come to, we draw straight from Scripture itself. This is our source. This is our guide. It's our guide not only for our study, but it should be our guide for life. I know there are times, I feel them as well, where I wish sometimes God would just open the clouds of heaven. And he would just say to me, Michael, you're an idiot. Don't do that. Go this way or do that. Pick up that thing or choose that. Truth be told, I do have that. It's right here. Prophets before me in the Old Testament would die, did die, to know what I know. To know the fulfillment of His Word in Christ. They would love to know that. Look at John the Baptist in prison. He's sitting there in prison and he sends his messengers going, is it you or should we look for another? He's dying to know, is Christ real? 
And what we have in Scripture is not only the revelation of Christ, but it recorded on the pages of history. We have them right here, and people have died for it. This is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. This is our guide, not only for our study, but for life itself. Questions, comments, thoughts, concerns, fears, hopes, dreams, expectations, pet peeves, anything? Lamentation and woe, anything you've got? Last few. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. If you want to hear it speak, read it out loud. Okay. Sure. Julie. Yeah, um, I, I think so. It, I think it would also depend, is this person claiming to be a Christian? Uh, if they are claiming to be a Christian, then yeah, I think we have a responsibility, an obligation to do it. Um, if they're not, I think there would be an exhortation of saying, let me provide you a better devotional to, to re- read Scripture from, I think would be um, the, the way to approach that for sure. Um, I'm certainly, I, I, I think you know me, I'm, or hopefully you're getting to know me. Um, I'm not a guy that's going to, going to point a finger at you and say, you idiot, why did you, you know, do those kinds of things at all? Um, I think we have to lead with a lot of grace and a lot of mercy and really, um, you know, ask the Lord for help. I think he does provide help in those, in those situations, um, but, or in all situations, but I I do think it's our our responsibility to exhort them with the word and say, here's the real word of God. And this is what it says about itself. And that's what my concerns about her book. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Timothy. Mm. And his word. So that should be a, a warning to us that when we sit down to read it, there's already going to be an enemy there. That's right. That's right. Secondly, our culture refuses to believe what God says about sin. That's right. And just as recent example, they're saying, well, if we have background checks, if we have gun control, they don't say anything about sin. Right. And uncontrolled, we're all capable of doing what was done. Sure. That's right. That is the reality of sin. That's right. That's where we all end up. That's right. That's right. Without the grace of God working. Right. So it's just a warning to me when I sit down to read God's word and say, Lord, I got an enemy within me. Right. I need your spirit to help me understand yep. what did you say. You got an enemy in the flesh and you've got an enemy outside you also. Yep. Uh-huh. Oh, it's a double threat and it's, and it's rough. It, absolutely. And we have a visual of what uncontrolled. That's right. Uncontrolled sin. That's right. That's right. Sure do. Yeah. Right. That is kind of a headline on Las Vegas. They're scratching their heads trying to figure out what's this guy's motivation. Right. Yeah. Sin. Evil is the motivation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shannon, you were going to say something. I'm just um, a little confused with the the, the book. Um, Sure. What's the difference between her book 
Yeah. Right. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Right. And functionally, when when she gets to a conclusion, okay, when she points to a, a you know a conclusion that she's drawing from a text or whatever, um, she may come to the same conclusion I would. Right. So I'm not necessarily saying that all our conclusions are wrong, Um, but the way that the devotional is presented is much different than something like David Jeremiah would say. Well, it's more of a prayer. It's more of a prayer. She has her scripture verses down at the bottom of the page. Right. But what she's saying about the devotional is that it's not a prayer. It's God. It's Jesus talking to her. It would be a prayer the opposite direction. That essentially Jesus is talking to her rather than her talking to Jesus. Well, yeah, it's more like right. Jesus is talking to you. Right. And so... But it's uh, Right. And, and so what I'm saying is she may be able to validate that with, with some scriptures and things like that. But the, what she is doing, the way she's going about writing this devotional is that uh, essentially, I mean, effectively be like a psychic would, would, would do it is basically she's receiving a word from, from God from the top down, and then she's presenting that to you. And then she's backing it up with scriptures. When in rea- so what that means then is that that word that's coming down to her like it came down to the apostles, or in a very similar way as it came down to the apostles, is authoritative for all of us. It's true in every ounce, and it's inerrant and infallible. And so that, that's the essential problem, is the way the devotional is presented. See, like David Jeremiah or um, Charles Spurgeon or whoever would write a devotional would say, here's the text that I've got. This is God's word to me. Here's the text. And here's what I, here's what I'm, I think that means. And here's why I think that matters for us in a brief little paragraph. And then put it out. That's totally different than, what, than the direction she's doing. And the, the direction is what's causing the alarms. Because the direction changes everything about the nature of this book. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because the only thing that we have from God to us in the direction that she's talking about is this right here, right? And so what that means then is if her book is in the same direction as the Bible, it is. It should be, you know, the book of second opinions or whatever you want to put in here uh, at the end of Revelation. Should come right after Revelation, and we believe about the Bible that the canon is closed after Revelation twenty-two. Yeah, twenty. Yeah, twenty-two. Another point is that whatever we hear, we are to evaluate it by the Scripture. Mm-hmm. What you say, mm-hmm. what anybody else says, right? But we have a culture that's lazy, and we don't want to do that. Right. But see, that's our responsibility. Right. Not to be passive. We right. have to evaluate everything. Right. That's John. That's First John, right? Test the. Sp- Test the spirits this semester to make sure that they're of the book. Yeah. yeah. You're not saying, though, that God doesn't speak to us anymore, are you? You're saying that she's not. Like, God definitely speaks to us. Right. Right? He I mean, definitely speaks to us. As somebody who's seen demon possessed girls, mm-hmm. who can see that level of spiritual warfare going on, mm-hmm. God is still quite capable of speaking directly to us if he chooses. There's no question he's capable. No question he's capable. I'm Sure. Sure. And it felt very strongly like and I, it's only time, and I certainly did 
sure. Right. Right. Um, what happened to you is different than what is put out in Sarah Young's book. Yeah. Right. Right. I think I think all of us probably have stories in our past of things that we cannot explain, um, things that we've seen maybe, or things that have happened to us that we're like, I, I don't know really what to do to do with that, Mitchell. Right. That's exactly right. Right. That's right. And and so if 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 God is is opening up the heavens and is is speaking on high, then that is true for all of us. It's normative and it's true for for all of us. So it's that create it just creates a, a ton of problems. Again, I'm not saying anything bad about her. I'm not saying anything necessarily that I I can point to in in the conclusion she draws that that is wrong or whatever. But I'm saying the way that devotional is presented should cause me enough alarms that I can find another devotional. Right? Yeah. Sure. Right, but. De- demon possession wouldn't be the word from God that was, yeah, right. Right, spiritual warfare. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. But even God's word tells us how to deal with it. Right, exactly. So right. the other thing is that Satan knows scripture. Right. But he takes that in context. Right. To get us to do something. That's right. That's right. And that's another warning we have to 